1: Welcome to the week 10 edition of the quote-unquote expert, quote-unquote roundtable. My name is Adam Levitan. I am the father, very special lady, Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world. And as always, I am joined by America's sharpest hippie, JM to win. JM, what's going on?
2: Uh, The people just missed a scintillating Snapchat conversation between us. So I guess we'll have to get to football now, now that we're done talking social media.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not on Snapchat. I assume that all that's on there is dick pics, so I don't really <laughs> see, like, why uh, I need to be on there, but according to everybody, like, Snapchat has the highest, like, uh, market potential. Like, everything, Snapchat's gonna be the biggest thing, so uh, maybe one day, but no, it's I'm like not on- a, It's
2: like a whole world on there. So I signed up this week. My wife's out of town, and she's such a millennial that that was literally the best way to communicate with her when she's out of town, um, yeah we never talk when she's out of town. So
1: Did you I gallows, Did you get any nudes?
2: Not yet, I'm holding out hope. I got, uh, I'm now friends with four people, a buddy from high school, my wife, Jefe, and ship my money. So maybe a nude from Jefe or ship my money or from my wife, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, um, okay, let me know how that goes. I'm not
2: actually, uh, Jefe, don't send me a nude, please.
1: <laughs> I'll see you in person
2: next week in Nashville. It'll be awkward.
1: Oh yeah, I am not gonna make it, man. That sucks, but you're going, huh?
2: I'm going, hang out with uh, Evan and Jefe and, and we'll do it big for you.
1: Yeah, that's sweet. Are you still gonna be able to do the show?
2: Yeah, I'll do the show, I'll fly out Saturday morning.
1: Oh, wow. So you're staying home in like the hippie lounge to <laughs> to do the show and then you're flying out Saturday, huh?
2: Yeah, precisely. Gotta wow. get the work done in the hippie lounge.
1: Look at the dedication. Um, All right. Speaking of dedication, we have a slate that was turned on its head uh, later in the week when we found out that Matt Forte would not play. I expect Bilal Powell to be 80 to 90 percent owned in cash and somewhere between 45 and 55 percent owned most likely uh, in tournaments would be my guess right now. Uh, That has kind of changed the entire slate. How do you see this slate as a whole jam?
2: I think, I mean, I'm not alone in this. I think that the sharpest plays on the slate uh, as far as raw point projections are Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. We'll get to this throughout the show. There are obviously cases to be made for fading them in tournaments as there is for any player, but um, with Powell, uh, it's interesting to realize how easy it is to fit both of them in together on DraftKings, which is entirely unusual with, with tight pricing on DraftKings. But... There's some quarterback values, some defense values. Obviously, Powell is a great value. Um, underpriced guys like Sterling Shepard, Carlos Hyde. So, I mean, just a lot that we can do with this slate. I'm pretty excited about it this week.
1: Yeah, I, I don't mind when we get like one of these kind of obvious plays that is cheap because it gives people an ability to be creative um, at higher prices, right? Like just because there is one guy who is just like, the smash at 4k doesn't mean everybody's gonna have the same roster uh the rest of the way right like people have choices to do a lot of different things whereas when pricing is super super tight across every single spot it's like well i gotta take this des value he's 6400 like it is what it is you know what i mean and like this week i think you can make case like for a lot of guys like i mean you showed me uh some thoughts you had and you didn't have golden tate in there which i thought uh was interesting but like those are the kind of decisions that you can make um when you have a guy and you can be creative with your spends and you can get guys like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Ball to the same lineup, which sounds absurd, but
2: Yeah, no, and I, and I just, yeah, before we get to position by position, that's an important note, just that uh, a week like this, like you have to, like people are gonna think about fading the the chalk at the low end of the price range because that's what we're conditioned to do because the chalk is often not that sharp. I mean, it's like we're forcing in guys at 4K just because they're 4K and we're hoping they can get 10 points. This shifts back to 2014, 2015 DraftKings play where uh, take, I mean, I'm not saying you have to take Bilal Powell, but like the only case for fading him is maybe he has a bad game, maybe he gets injured. You know, like he's the best play, and then you can do different things at the higher end of the price range. I think that's a great way for the slate to set up. Uh, It's definitely the best for overall, you know, play, um, and it's good to be aware of that that's where we're at this week.
1: All right, let's get into quarterbacks. Uh, My first instinct was Matthew Stafford uh, and Ben Roethlisberger are awesome plays. I think the more I've thought about it, the more I prefer Matthew Stafford. But if you want to play Le'Veon and Antonio together, or if you really want to have, um, you know, one of these other or two of these other high-priced plays like Gurley or Fournette or McCoy, it's going to be hard to fit Stafford um, or Ben. But let's start there for for. Uh, to to start here, Stafford, uh, Dak, and Ben, I think, and I guess Matt Ryan at the high range. Do you have a preference out of those guys? Do any of those stand out? And are you thinking about paying up a quarterback?
2: I guess I'm alone on liking Dak more than Stafford.
1: Okay. Uh, I think that will not be the most popular opinion. Yeah, I think Stafford will be more owned, but Dak's going to be popular too. I mean, I played him last week on DraftKings. He's just the man. I mean, he's not having sex right now also, which is just the, ch- the cherry on top. <laughs>
2: I thought that was a bad thing. I thought that's what we established last year. No, no, for no, no. no. Keeps,
1: you fo- keeps you focused, bro.
2: Man, so many changes in uh, Levitan's philosophy yeah. on life. Uh, yeah. How's the home life going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think it's notable. Uh, nobody cares about this besides me. I think it's notable that the Browns have allowed the ninth fewest yards in the NFL. We get points from touchdowns. We also get points from yards. I mean, yards are a big part of what we're looking for. Uh, the Browns are so bad, not because they're so bad on on defense, but they're so bad because they keep giving teams short fields. I mean, they are the number one run defense in the NFL, and even though they have some bad advanced metrics against the pass, they haven't been awful. I mean, they're top five team against wide receivers. Um, they're weaker in the middle of the field where Golden Tate runs his routes. We can get to that later. Obviously awful against the tight end, but Eric Ebron's been so poor this year. I I just don't want to trust Stafford if he's going to be chalky. Like, if you were going to be 5% owned, I'd be like, yeah, I'll take a shot there. But 12%, 15%, um, that's not a guy I want to pay up for. I I love Dak. Um, I think he's the top play up here. I'd be fine with Stafford. I'm fine with Roethlisberger. I'm fine with Matt Ryan. But I think if you pay up, uh, Dak is the best play. And then, you know, after that, there's just so much value down low that we can get 15 to 20 points for 5K and you know say okay maybe maybe one of these guys gets 25 to 30 but maybe they get 20 to 22 and and we're sitting pretty with 15 to 20 from the cheap guys
1: yeah on stafford i think it's just a situation where it fits so perfectly right you mentioned how good cleveland is against the run i mean i don't think people realize how dominant cleveland has been against the run and that's fine like let's take a gate let's take a pass-centric game plan against the browns and that's fine by the lions who we've seen skew really heavy towards the pass in previous seasons and are getting like a broken run game anyways from amir abdullah so i think we'll see a really pass heavy um approach from the lions and i think just playing at home like they will be have a chance to be more efficient than maybe we've seen some other teams against the browns before um so yeah I, i think stafford's a really really uh good play i think i would prefer him to Dak, especially when you consider the 500 in savings uh on ben roethlisberger i mean i know he's been bad i know he's on the road but like Man, this Colts defense, if you look at what Ben is doing, his average depth of uh, target this year is third deepest in the league. Um, I think that the Colts are the worst team at defending deep balls in the league by almost any metric. So that just fits really well there. We saw what Ben did last year to the Colts on Thanksgiving. I mean, he was going to go absolutely berserk if Scott Tolzien could have just done anything. Um, And I think Jacoby Brissett at least has a chance to keep this game somewhat competitive so I I do like Ben I do like Stafford fine with Dak fine with Ryan Uh, but you mentioned I think maybe the more optimal play the more I've thought about it is to go down so there's a few options I think there is Eli is a strong option I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is an option and I think a cut below those guys but maybe still an option is CJ Beathard so uh, talk to me about Fitz and Eli and these guys
2: so I'm gonna throw out some crazy stats about the Giants and 49ers. Their bottom, both teams are, uh, sorry, both teams are top four in the league in pace of play. Both teams are uh, top six in the league in passing play percentage. Both teams are bottom six in yards and points allowed. Uh, the one that stands out to me the most is both teams are bottom four in time of possession. Why this matters, uh, oh, both teams are top two in opponent plays allowed and then they're, uh bottom four time of possession we combine their average time of possession there's six minutes and seven seconds missing so these guys are priced for like 27 minutes of time of possession per game add on an extra three minutes you're talking about you know six eight ten extra plays per team in a better matchup than they've had in a long time so i love eli he's faced the chargers the rams the seahawks the broncos i mean he's had a tough run of quarterback matchups uh It's crazy to say, but with Mike Evans out, Eli also has better weapons in Shepard and Ingram than Fitzpatrick has. So uh, I love Eli this week. I think that uh, we'll see lower ownership on him than Fitzpatrick, maybe not notably lower, but lower. Uh, I think Fitzpatrick is a super sharp play in cash, especially just because I think ownership will be higher there. And I don't think that, like, it wouldn't surprise me if if Fitzpatrick outscores Eli. Like, it's maybe 40-60 that he's an underdog there. Uh, and I think the ownership gap will be large enough in cash that so it just makes sense to go with Fitzpatrick. But I love both these guys. I agree with Beathard. Um, do you have any concerns that maybe Bethard will get benched partway through the game for Garoppolo
1: if he continues playing awful? Uh, no, I don't think they'll do that to Garoppolo. I think that they want to get him, like, a clean look. You know what I mean? But I, I think the concern for me on, on Bethard would be more that, like, the Giants hit absolute rock, rock, rock bottom last week. Like, you can't go any more rock bottom than what the Giants did last week. They will get back Janoris Jenkins, their best defender, arguably. This week, they could get back Olivier Vernon. They could get back Jonathan Casillas, their weak side linebacker. And I think they have a chance to like, even if they hate their coach, right, which I think they do, and even if their coach is incapable, which I think we can agree, uh, he probably is like, just as a man, like you don't want to get humiliated like that and not bounce back. So I think we could see uh, more of an inspired performance out of the Giants, um, who certainly have more talent on the field uh, defensively than the 49ers do. So I would pretty strongly prefer Eli over Bethard. And if I can find the, uh, what is it, 200, uh, I would prefer Eli over Fitz as well. Um, also in the 5K range, we have Jacoby Brissett. We have Marcus Mariota. Do any of those guys do anything for you, perhaps from a tournament perspective?
2: No, I prefer McCown over either of those uh, just because of the matchup. For McCown. Um, Mariota's looked pretty bad this year. He has a horrible matchup against Cincinnati, who's been one of the best teams in the NFL against the past. They've actually been the best team in the NFL against wide receivers as far as catches allowed. Um, and Brissett, yeah, I mean, uh, P- Pittsburgh is also top five in basically every major you know pass defense category. So I'd rather go to the guys with the, the better matchups, especially, you know, talking about Eli is going to throw it, uh, you know, minimum 35 times, probably 40 times with huge volume and a fast pace and a high passing play percentage. I just think that makes a lot more sense to go to one of those guys.
1: Yeah, the only other guy I have here on my list who I I don't think I would use because I think Tom Savage just makes it so it's unlikely he'll have his foot on the gas for very long, but Jared Goff is 6,700. And I think um, if you have come around, which I don't know if you have yet, but if you've come around on the fact that this Texans defense uh, without J.J. Watt without Wendy Merciless, without Brian Cushing, maybe without Jonathan Joseph again is, is hashtag bad. Um, you have to at least consider Jared Goff, but he's 6,700. And, and, you know, he's more expensive than Ben more expensive than Matt Ryan right there with Stafford only a little bit cheaper than Dak. Um, I probably won't be playing Goff. Do you have any interest in him?
2: No. And I agree with you on the Houston defense. Um, Hey, finally. Is, yes. Yeah. Too bad that, um, I didn't agree with you the last couple of weeks, but, uh, no i uh, I agree with you, and uh, the thing with Goff is just I believe the Rams are twenty eighth in passing play percentage, maybe twenty seventh. I mean, they're not putting a lot on Goff's shoulders. And honestly, what what McVeigh is doing is just masterful. Um think about Cooper Cup having thirteen red zone targets. Like this guy is not a guy that you throw to thirteen times in the red zone, but it's just, High percentage throws that aren't going to lead to mistakes, keeps building his confidence. Um, I mean, that's really what this season has been about, is just prepping for the future. Uh, The Rams just happen to have enough talent and enough coaching talent that they're also winning games this year. So I just think they're not going to open things up um, unless they have to. One thing I will note that was interesting, uh, Goff's second most pass attempts, 37 pass attempts, came in a 33-0 win against Arizona. So I think it's less about limiting him when the score gets out of hand and more just that they're not going to throw the ball a ton regardless so if they get extra plays he could throw it 35 to 40 times but um you know nothing sets up to make it likely that, that they get enough plays that that happens
1: uh any off the board quarterbacks you like
2: no I mean I, I'm pretty locked into the value maybe that'll change over the next couple of days but right now I'm, I'm on these cheaper guys
1: all right, let's go to running back. I do not see a lot be flow 5K. In fact, I see almost nothing below 5K outside of Bilal Powell. So uh, answer me two questions. One, I tell you Bilal Powell will be 55% owned in a GPP. And I think it matters what size GPP, right? Like if you're playing, let's say uh, in the Wildcat where he might be even more owned, you know, the 333 on DK, uh, he might be 60, 65% owned. Uh, can you stomach that ownership um, in the wildcat on Bilal Powell. So answer me that number one. And number two, do you see anything else at running back below 5k? Uh,
2: yeah, I think that like, even with a little bit higher ownership in those tournaments, I think that in, in a smaller field tournament. So for you and me, we're talking wildcat or the $1,500 tournament, the luxury box, um, for like different buy-in levels, we're also talking about just single entry tournaments. I think that you still take that play because in a smaller field, um, you know, it's it's better to just take that solid chalk play that even if Powell misses, unless he gets hurt, even if he misses, he's going to get you, what, 12, 13 points. And then you differentiate elsewhere is the way that I like to approach things in those tournaments. I think you make a, a stronger case in something like the Millie Maker where you have to beat a couple hundred thousand entries and we're finishing like 15th place doesn't even matter. You really have to finish top five for it to matter. I think that in a situation like that, you can make a better game theory case for it. Um, Hefe, what do you think? Uh, game theory, blah, blah, blah. I'm um, Hefe. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just Powell's the best play though. I think you play him the, uh, un, under 5k. So point per dollar, I think Frank Gore is one of the best plays on the slate. um, but in terms of upside, now that Powell's there, I don't think I'll go to Gore. I, I think that Gore is going to get you 12, 13 points in this spot. So if we're just talking pure point per dollar, he's a great play. Uh, and then Orleans Darkwell, I like him a lot. Um, I don't think he tops 20 touches. Like, I don't think that the extra play volume necessarily means he's going to see 25 touches. I think they'll still spread the ball out, but it does pretty securely lock him into those 16, 18, 20 touches. So, Uh, For 4,500, I like him quite a bit as well.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think Darkwood would have carried more ownership if not for the Powell thing. Now, Darkwood's is going to have very low uh, ownership. They do seem to have locked onto him as the feature guy. I'm always scared that like, hey, we're going to go with Gallman today or hey, you know, we're going to go with Perkins today or whatever, but uh, he does seem to have secured the job, so that's at least interesting. Uh, Let's move up to the mid-range here. Uh, I think that you can make a pretty strong case for Jordan Howard, who has seen massive, massive usage lately, and especially massive usage when the Bears have leads. I mean, all they want to do is hide Trubisky and run the football. So Jordan Howard at 6,100. Devontae Freeman uh, is off the injury report. He is 6K as a home favorite against the Cowboys. And a guy that I think will be the most popular in this kind of mid age group is Carlos Hyde, who has just gone completely nuts um, with catching the football, at least last week, we talked about it. Last week, how he's getting a lot of targets, he just wasn't converting them. Last week, he converted them uh, and just went absolutely ham. So, in a home game against the Giants, Carlos Hyde at sixty three hundred, I expect to be very popular too. Uh, what do you think about these mid range guys?
2: I think that Hyde is the best play out of the bunch. Uh, Devontae Freeman has seen under or fifteen or fewer touches in in four straight games. I know he's off the injury report, but That's still a little bit of a concern for me. With that said, uh, Devontae Freeman can put up 20 points on 15 touches, and if he gets 20 touches, he can smash. So I think that he's a great tournament play. Jordan Howard, I obviously want more passing volume, but I do agree that he'll probably get 25 carries. So I'm fine with that. Um, And then you skipped over Lamar Miller, so I'm going to give you my thoughts on him, and then uh, I'm interested on your takes. So the Rams, uh, or the Texans rank 25th in passing play percentage. They prefer to run the ball. That's even with Watson, when Watson was starting. The Rams uh, have seen the 13th most rush attempts in the NFL, seventh most rushing yards, which I think is noteworthy because they've blown out a ton of teams. Uh, They're so difficult to pass on. The teams are still running the ball. So I think we have a six and two team that's had so many blowout wins and they've still faced the 13th most running back rush attempts. That just tells us the team's really, really just want to attack on the ground against him. So I think that Lamar Miller, he made no sense as chalk last week at 6,200. Now his price has dropped 1K and nobody's talking about him. I think he's going to get, you know, 15 plus touches, three or four catches, or 15 plus carries, three or four catches. So at 5,200, I think he's an awesome play this week as well.
1: Yeah, I think people are off Lamar Miller because they just expect the Rams to truck the Texans and they won't have red zone opportunities. They won't have good leverage situations for – Lamar Miller to uh kind of being good down and distance stuff and I just think when people see Savage they're just like forgetting it and honestly I'm kind of that way too I'm just like god I don't even want to mess with uh Lamar Miller in the fear that the Texans just get absolutely like truck stomped you know what I mean um so yeah I don't know like I, I would almost rather consider DeMarco Murray I know it's like a bad matchup and everything but I would almost rather go there uh in the mid-range we can talk about him uh, in a little bit, I think we need to go up to this higher range here where we have uh, kind of a tough call, I think, between LaShawn McCoy, Todd Gurley, and Leonard Fournette, who are all awesome plays. Uh, Leonard Fournette should be extremely fresh, a month off due to the ankle, then the bye, then the team imposed discipline. The way you beat the Chargers is for sure by running the football. You don't expose yourself. to Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, you don't expose yourself. To Casey Hayward and the Jaguars, we know they want to run the football a ton anyway. So I think Fournette, Makes a ton of sense. Todd Gurley, obviously, the role that he's playing. No Malcolm Brown uh, this week. His backup, like the role Gurley's playing is just outrageous. And anytime LaShawn McCoy is at the Ralph, uh, I want to play him. I actually think the Bills are going to play really well in this spot. So even though they're a dog, uh, I kind of think that LaShawn McCoy is going to have the kind of usage we see when he's a favorite, when he touches the ball like literally 27 times. So uh, given price, I think I like LaShawn McCoy the best. Uh, given pass game role I think I like LaShawn McCoy the best but I think all three of these guys are awesome plays and it's hard for me to parse between them
2: I first want to note without giving too much away I, I mean I built a team today I sent it to you or t- talked to you about it for the show that has Le'Veon Bell Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette you could also move up to Gurley on the team with the way the price works um There's that team has Garrett Selleck, but you could, you know, pivot up to a better tight end and down to Julio Jones, AJ Green. I mean, there's just so much that you can do that you can pair, you know, top a top receiver with uh, Bell and one of these other guys. So uh, with that said, you know, because I think that it's like we should point out that we both probably think that Bell is like a must play in cash.
1: Right. I didn't even mention Bell because he's uh, 1500 more than McCoy. Uh, I think he's in his own tier, but for sure, Le'Veon Bell has the best projection on the slate. Like it's it's not even close in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I mean, he has 35 plus touches in three of his last five games and all of them have been, you know, big wins. It's, it's, it was absurd to write it this week, but I wrote, you know, his actual expectation is 35 touches this week. Um, So, but then this conversation still stands because you can actually fit one of these other guys with, uh, Bell this week uh, I kind of lean so I, I'm, I agree with you on all your points Gurley's my least favorite just because the matchup is toughest and this team seems to be kind of in playoff mode they gave him 16 and 22 I don't recall if it was carries or touches the last two weeks but you pointed out Malcolm Brown's out Brown had 26 carries combined the last two weeks um, I do still think that maybe we'll see some Lance Dunbar or something I mean the, the Rams if they have a big lead I'm not certain that Gurley gets the 24 to 33 touches he was getting earlier in the season. Uh, so for tournaments, I still love him. Huge home favorite. Uh, I have more concerns about him than the other two. Fournette. Yeah. I mean, he's getting three to five catches. So the, you know, that floor from catches is lower than what we have from the McCoy. But like you said, I mean, that's the way to beat the chargers. Just run, run, run. I, I mean, yeah, I think 24, 25 carries for Fournette. He should top a hundred yards. He should have a couple of cracks at a touchdown. So I love him. LaShawn McCoy, the matchup couldn't be better against the Saints team that is very attackable on the ground. Um, you know, McCoy's like jitterbug stuff behind the line of scrimmage probably lowers his floor below Fournette, even with the like the higher catch expectation, just because there are more opportunities for him to have, you know, gains of zero yards or one yard. Um so just kind of working through things in my mind. Yeah, I'd say that Fournette's floor is a little bit higher. I think their ceiling's about the same. I like Fournette a little more, but I love both guys.
1: Uh, okay, let's start to go off the board a little bit here at running back. I mentioned DeMarco Murray. He's down to 5K. Still think he has a pretty good stranglehold in terms of like 60-40 over Derrick Henry. So uh, healthy off of a bye, and you mentioned how tough Cincinnati's pass defense is. I expect this to be like a low-scoring slow game between the Titans and Bengals, but DeMarco Murray is at least in play at that price. We have the Dallas situation with Alfred Morris at 5,500. I think he'll start. I think Rod Smith will uh, back him up. I think we'll see Darren McFadden mix in a little bit, but Alfred Morris has had some big, impressive runs uh, this season. And then we have the pass catching backs, Chris Thompson and Alvin Kamara. Uh, Anything off the board that stands out for you? So...
2: Yeah. Alfred Morris is a fine play. He's kind of Jordan Howard. Um, when we talk about limited catches and with him priced up at 5,500 and Howard only 600 more Eileen Howard, just because like Alf could get 25 carries, but he could also get 12 to 15. Whereas we know that Howard, I mean, barring an unexpected offensive explosion from the Packers, we know Howard's going to get 25 carries. So he stands out to me less. Um, the guy who stands out to me the most that you skipped over and stands out to me the most, partly because everyone's just going to skip over him, is Mark Ingram. Uh, and I know that we were both curled up in a fetal position on Sunday due to Ingram's usage. Uh, you less so than me because you used Ty Hilton and I did not. But uh, but I had a good enough team that even without Ty Hilton, like I would have had a profitable weekend if Mark Ingram had had done what I expected him to do. Uh, But he played 60% of the snaps. It was his highest snap rate of the season. Like, the the drop in targets is just a fluky thing. He was on the field. I think we still lock him in for 16 to 20 carries and, um, you know, four catches against a team that's missing Marcel Darius and and looked bad against the run their last time out. So that's the guy off the board that's really drawing my attention. I think that uh, Ingram makes for a, a really strong tournament play. I think that... If you've had in- interest in Ingram the last few weeks, you keep interest in him here. I mean, I think he's right below Fournette and McCoy in, in expectations for me. And ownership's going to be super low in tournaments.
1: Yeah, uh, Ingram is 7,400, right? So he is um, still priced up, I think. And the concern, for me at least, is that the Saints offense is going to sputter in the Ralph, number one. And number two, like Kamara might just be better. And that's no knock on Ingram, but like. Kamara legit might just be better. And we saw last game Kamara start. A lot of Ingram snaps came late in the game after it was kind of already decided. And that's not to say that Ingram's not going to start this game and he doesn't still have his role because he's might. But I think that there's some concern there on a guy who's 7,400. At 7,200 is Melvin Gordon, who we don't really have a question about his role and he's playing the Jaguars. So I think I might prefer uh, Melvin Gordon to Ingram, but I'm not that crazy high on either of them. Uh, if you want to get nuts, what do you think about this Chris Thompson play with all of their problems? with the pass rush going to be a problem? If you think the Redskins are going to play well in this game, you would think that a lot of it would have to come through. Chris Thompson, we know Xavier Rhodes will be locked down on the outside. Um, Chris Thompson was a guy who was super popular early year. I never played him, haven't played him once this year, uh, but he, now he's 5,700. and He's at least more palatable to me now.
2: Yeah, I mean, these guys, like these guys who are getting me let me see this so nine these are chris thompson's target counts six nine five five it's really the same thing as kamara for me he's he's only been seeing three to seven targets and he hasn't top ten carries this year like the efficiency is so high yeah that the price is is climbing way higher than the workload justifies so like the thing with thompson and kamara i said last week with thompson that Basically, we hadn't seen his floor um, with his workload. Last week, he had 7.4 points. Like, that's, that's the floor on Kamara and Thompson. So even though they've shown a much higher ceiling, you still have to, like, pencil them in for that floor. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Thompson obviously could hit 20 points. He's, he's done it a bunch of times. But uh, – or, you know, top 15 points a bunch of times. I'm fine with it, but I won't go there myself just because there's too many plays with with higher floors at running back.
1: Um, yeah. I think i don't need going to take on like
2: a seven point floor to get 20 points.
1: Right. No, I agree. And, and I think Kamara's floor is actually significantly higher than Chris Thompson's. I mean, Kamara has a legit role in the run game and a legit role in the red zone. Like Kamara has gotten carries in the red zone. Whereas Chris Thompson, we're not going to see that from, you know what I mean? So I don't think you can really compare the floor of Kamara uh, and Chris Thompson, but then again, Kamara is 1200 more. And as you said, I mean, Kamara's only 500 less than Mark Ingram uh, this week. Uh, anything else at running back?
2: No, I think we covered it.
1: All right. The wide receiver position. We better start with the Tampa Bay Bucs because a lot of people uh, want to know what to do here. Mike Evans has been suspended. I expect Chris Godwin to start on the outside. I expect Adam Humphreys to stay in a slot role. Like, If you're projecting Adam Humphreys to suddenly play 100% of the snaps and start running routes out wide, I think you're mistaken. Um, will we see an increased target share for Adam Humphreys? I mean, probably, right? Like, you replace Mike Evans with Chris Godwin and I gave Chris Godwin a five target projection and Mike Evans was getting 9.1. So there's probably like four or five targets extra to go around between the existing guys. Um, Adam Humphrey scares me as just like a Cole Beasley-esque slot guy uh, playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's like, God, am I really going to do this? But he is 3,100. So talk to me about this buck situation.
2: Uh, you answered the question I was going to ask, which was how many targets do you project Godwin for? Uh, like this has been one of the past heaviest offenses in the NFL. There's no guarantee that that remains the case with Jameis Winston out. And then, like you said, okay, you're putting Godwin at five targets. We lose, you know, nine from Evans. Like that leaves four targets and a potentially lower passing volume. And I think we see more 12 personnel with OJ Howard on the field. Um, Brate's going to get his target. Howard's going to get his, Deshaun's still going to get his. So like, you're basically looking at, I'm thinking Godwin sees more like three or four looks, but regardless if he's in that three to five range, you're basically adding like maybe one target onto everyone else. If passing volume remains the same, which it may not. So I'm not giving that big of a bump to Humphreys. I think he's a fine play in cash games. Um, his, average depth of target is is like basically let's call it the same as Jarvis Landry's right Jarvis Landry's been under 50 yards in over half his games and he's third in the NFL in targets per game so there's no guarantee that Humphrey's is gonna put up like 70 or 80 yards Um, I think we're basically looking at the same role 3100 he's a complete fade for me in tournaments I think just because if this dude's gonna be 20 plus percent owned and maybe not now at the Powell news but Uh, 20 plus percent owned and and his realistic ceiling is like 11 or 12 points I'm fine missing out on that Um, I wish there were some other cheap wide receivers I liked more but um, but I think there are guys I mean Kendrick Bourne on um, San Francisco I I like him quite a bit this year this week he's six foot one I think that's you know worth paying attention to because you've got Goodwin and Aldrick Robinson at five foot ten you've got George Kittle missing in action um Bourne saw 40 snaps six targets last week look everyone that Beathard throws to is going to catch under the under 50 percent of their targets but uh we could legitimately see seven or eight targets there for some upside in tournaments um I think the Tavares King on the Giants is viable he saw two end zone targets last week like I don't think you have to go to Humphreys in in tournaments and then if we go a little bit higher you got Martavis Bryant at thirty nine hundred, which the floor is is like two points, but the upside is immense in tournaments. Uh, Marquise Lee is ninth in the NFL in percentage uh, in percentage share of team air yards. So, like, yeah, there's just a lot to like under forty five hundred that you don't have to go to Humphreys and Tourneys.
1: Wow, you I saw really saw you writing off. stuff
2: down. What would you what'd you write down there?
1: Well, I wrote down Martavis because I did. <coughs> excuse me, I did see speculation this morning which didn't seem solid enough for me to, like, uh, really go nuts with. But I saw speculation this morning that Martavis would get his starting job back from Juju this week. Um, I'm kind of skeptical that's going to be the case. I mean, Juju has outplayed him so severely. And then, like, why would you just give Martavis the job right back, you know? Like, does he have to earn it back somehow or Juju do something to lose it? Like, just seems weird to me. So uh, Martavis certainly scares me. Like, I could see him play the number four receiver role all game, which could literally mean 0.0 points uh for martavis bryant so that scares me uh one guy you didn't mention below 4500 and i know it's because of the matchup but this guy is mega talented may- like we're talking about Tavares king and adam humphries and-, <laughs> and kendrick Bourne and these jokers we have a legit talented guy at 4k who's going to play 90 percent of the snaps you know who i'm talking about
2: yeah i was that was the next guy i was going to bring up uh Corey davis right yeah uh, i yeah, mean, he played i played 75 percent last week
1: five yeah. targets it was like on 84% of Mariota's dropbacks last week. And I get it, right? Like the Titans and Bengals are going to be slow. And, and the Bengals are extremely good against the pass. I mean, at 4K, like Corey Davis is talented enough when he's playing the whole game. Uh, and Marcus Mariota is talented enough to like beat a tough defense. Like it's okay. They're playing at home. Like I think it will be fine. I'm much more comfortable with that than Martavis or Kendrick Bourne or Humphreys. It's just for a matter of me, just finding that. 900 and sometimes in lineups that I built that means not being able to play Antonio Brown which is obviously a concern but um, I'd rather not play one of these really thin wide receivers now that we have Powell and if we're willing to play Eli or Fitzpatrick or something like that
2: Uh, yeah like I don't like chasing really bad matchups and Cincinnati against wide receivers is about as bad as it gets they've allowed the fewest receptions in the NFL to the position they've also faced a fairly light Quarterback schedule. Uh, Marquise Lee put up seventy-five yards against them last week. Um, so yeah, I mean, with well, I have interest in Marquise Lee and a, you know another tough, decently tough wide receiver matchup against the Chargers. So I definitely think that Corey Davis at four K is totally in play. Uh, I would love to see seven or eight targets instead of five, and I don't know that we can rely on more than five. But um, in tournaments, absolutely, and I, I think that. You know, the concerns about Martavis that you brought up are very real, but if we're just talking, like, we're not talking about using him in cash games, but if you just talk about tournaments, like, who else in this price range could get, could get you 25 to 30 points? So we can throw Corey Davis in there as well, but uh, I just think all... that uh, with Beth, I mean, come on, like,
1: I don't no, know. I know. Playing know, out know, of the slot with Bethard. <laughs> I know, it's a disaster.
2: Eight, eight targets last week and two catches, it's like – it's getting ridiculous no i mean i i think that goodwin and and lord aldrich are in play as well it's just um you're taking like dart throws on these guys they're all viable but i like in tournaments i want any of these guys over humphreys just because like i just don't want that seven to eight points i want some more upside than that um but yeah i mean i'd love to bust out of this price range too if i could
1: yeah uh if you can bust out of his price i think a lot of people are going to land on the mid-range here we have deshaun jackson who everybody assumes is going to get a big bump i'm not so sure he's not exactly a receiver that you funnel offense through he only has one target inside the 10-yard line all year and a lot of seasons he gets like no targets inside the 10-yard line um we have muhammad sanu who continues to rack up usage he has a good matchup i think against dallas on the inside and then uh sterling Shepard, who um, if you like Eli, which I think we both do, if you think that um the 49ers are extremely susceptible in the slot, which I think we can all agree they are, Sterling Shepard makes a lot of sense. Uh so I think that mid-range there, you could even throw Marvin Jones into the mid-range too, even though he's 6,200. I think all those guys uh make a lot of sense. Do you have a standout there? I
2: think Shepard's the best point per dollar play on the slate. 5, Nine targets is probably his floor it's like it's Shepard and, and Ingram are the only guys that Eli wants to throw to so I, I absolutely love Shepard this week you brought up uh, almost all the guys I like in this range uh, the two that we missed are uh, Robbie Anderson who just in that matchup against Tampa Bay um this is another one of those high efficiency, which is weird to to talk about Robbie Anderson with high efficiency, but his price has risen higher than his workload justifies um, because of a a run of good games. But I think that he's viable against Tampa. Uh, Another one, this is one of my biggest regrets last week was Robert Woods. We talked about Sammy Watkins, right. And the extra targets he was going to see. And it was like late Saturday night that I realized maybe the Rams just like throwing to Robert Woods. Um, you know, last week he had only five targets, but got through only 28 times. Um, he's seen seven-plus targets basically every week. So I think at 5K, he remains very playable. I think we have to um, call him the the number one receiver on this team and and say that, you know, seven-plus targets is bankable for him. So I like the guys you mentioned for the reasons you mentioned. I like, um, you know, and, and Sanu's matchup. I wrote it up in the NFL edge this week. If anyone wants to see the exact stats, but teams are just smashed Dallas out of the slot. Um, Like every receiver goes above expectations. So especially if Julio is potentially just a decoy this week, I think that Sanu is, um, is an excellent play there as well.
1: Uh, Deshaun Jackson, you didn't hit on. Uh, Do you agree with me that he doesn't see a big role change here with Mike Evans out?
2: Yeah. I mean like, uh, so Humphreys has one of the lowest a dots in the NFL. Deshaun Jackson is second in the NFL in average depth of target you just have these like one guy just running these deep routes, and one guy running underneath. Um, so I think that Deshaun is what he is every week. He's a low floor, high upside play. That's the kind of play that inherently we try to avoid at high ownership and play at low ownership. So if people are expecting a big bump for Deshaun this week, we already broke down the targets. I, I just don't see a big bump in usage um, or a change in, in role. I, I think I still peg him the way I do every week which leaves him Uh, a fade at high ownership.
1: Okay, let's keep moving up here. Uh, I think Golden Tate is an awesome play. I think Marvin Jones is fine as well. I mean, Marvin Jones is getting an obscene amount of targets. He will see more of Jason McCourty who will be back for this game. Jason McCourty has obviously had a standout season. Um, Marvin Jones is 600 cheaper than Golden Tate. I mean, in this spot though, I really think Golden Tate is like a lock for six to seven catches. And he's only 6,800. So I think Golden Tate is super strong. Thielen has a really good matchup in the slot uh, against the Redskins if you want to take chances on Case Keenum going on the road. And then we get up to the higher price guys like A.J. Green, Julio Jones, and obviously Antonio Brown. Um, What do you like? Are you comfortable not having any Lions in your pass game, in your lineup? It seems like – it sounds like you are.
2: I am, and it's – Golden Tate, I think his average depth of target is 6.5 yards. It's, like, lower That's than Jarvis guy, Landry's. Know. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah so – and and I think that – so the case you make for Tate is is two-sided. One, you know, he's one of the best guys in the league after the catch. Two, like, you got this talented Browns defense. Like, genuinely, they have good talent on their defense, and you've got an idiot coach in Greg Williams who not only doesn't know how to scheme a defense, but also just – doesn't coach guys to be disciplined. So they miss tackles. They allow big plays. It's a great spot for Golden Tate to take a five-yard catch and turn it into a 60-yard gain. Um, I don't want to pay 6800 to get that, though. Like, I don't want to pay 6800 for a possession receiver who's going to pick up yards after the catch when I can pay a little bit more for – I mean, I don't know. Just the way that, that savings break down this week, I want to get up to A.J. Green, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown – um, I might change my mind on Tate. I really hadn't considered him much, to be honest, um, and that's kind of the reason why. But, yeah, I mean, like, I'm fine with any of those guys, but just A.J. Green, Julio Jones, if we think he's healthy, Antonio Brown are just such nut plays this week that um, I'd rather move out of that that lower – that mid-tier price range, I guess we could call it, or upper mid-tier. Um, I, I'm interested that you brought up Thielen. I, I like that one just because – Washington has nails against receivers, but Baldwin showed last week that they can kind of attack, um, oh, yeah. you know, you can attack Washington, that, that area of the field where Thielen runs his route. So tournaments, I like Thielen. Um, I'm fine with Tate, but I, I just like these higher priced guys more.
1: Uh, the difference in price between AJ Green and Julio Jones is only $300. Uh, Julio was completely removed from the injury report today, suggesting he's healthy. Uh, I don't really know. There's no way nobody's going to know unless we get like some Schefter report in the morning. But either way, like, let's say I told you Julio Jones is completely healthy. AJ Green is completely healthy. There's only a $300 difference. Who do you prefer there?
2: Uh, I think Julio. What about you?
1: Um. Yeah, I think the game environment is better, right? Like where we could see a really, like, sloggy, slow uh, defensive game between the Titans and Bengals. It's much more likely that we see kind of a high pace shootout in Atlanta between Dallas and, and Atlanta. Uh, so I would lean Julio as well. But certainly the ankle is a concern.
2: Yeah, I mean, Julio has 12 plus targets in two of the last three games. It seems like they're scheming him the ball. Atlanta's 17th in points per game this year, but they're sixth in yards per game. So they're still racking up yards. If they ever fix their scoring issues, you know, they're gonna look a lot like the offense from last year. So it we're banking on Julio actually being healthy. We're banking on Steve Sarkeesian taking his head out of his butt and you know not giving Julio six targets but uh if Julio sees you know 10 plus targets and is healthy like he's gonna blow up he does every time he sees double digit targets he has a big game so um yeah I love Julio this week I think if he hadn't dropped that pass in the end zone last week everyone would be talking about him you know he'd be like 8700 and everyone would be trying to decide between him and Antonio Brown. So the like the optics are just different because of that dropped pass, but I think he's a tremendous play.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that. Ownership, everything is so different just by, based on that one drop. Uh, okay, Antonio Brown, 9,500, much like Le'Veon Bell, in a tier by himself. No one is going to argue that Antonio Brown is the best play, um, is the best raw play. Uh, he costs 9,500. Let's say you can only have one between Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown in your lineup. Who would you prefer?
2: Bell. I mean, you, you like you take 35 touches, like the guaranteed workload is just so high. Um, red zone usage, everything like Antonio, I expect them both to have a big game, but it's it's likelier that AB disappoints than Bell and disappointing still probably 15, 15, 18 points, but um, that's the likelier to happen than Bell disappointing.
1: Yeah. And like target projections, right? Like let's say you gave Antonio Brown 11 to 12 targets. Le'Veon Bell is probably going to get somewhere between six and eight targets. Like their target projection yeah. isn't even that different. And then you also get like 30 carries from this dude. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, if
2: somehow this game stays close um, and they throw enough for, for Brown to get 12 to 14 targets, then Bell's going to get a bunch of targets as well. And if, if Bell's tar- if Brown's targets drop, Bell's targets drop as well, but he gets extra carries um, either way. It works out well for, for Bell,
1: all right, off the board at wide receiver. You mentioned some at the cheap range off the board. Um, in terms of off the board at the higher range, I think uh, Steph Diggs is completely healthy. Has a bad matchup against his Redskins secondary, but he is a wildly talented player. And sometimes wildly talented players in bad matchups is a great place to look for GPP plays. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is 7,500 and saw 16 targets. Last week, uh, they are obviously very low efficiency targets from Tom Savage. But nonetheless, um, I think Michael Thomas, if you think that the Saints will have a high volume passing attack, it's not a good matchup again, especially if EJ Gaines plays. But I think Michael Thomas um, at 7K after being the chalk last week, really the last few weeks, Michael Thomas has been chalk and now he won't be owned at all. So there's some guys at the high range that I think are off the board. Anything else uh, off the board you see?
2: Yeah, and if Dez is healthy, which we won't know until Sunday morning, he's a great play. Um, you know, Trufant is a solid corner, but he'll see plenty of Robert Alford who's been struggling this year, and, you know, Dez is going to get his looks if he's healthy. I, I like him more than Michael Thomas just because I don't have any reason. I, I guess you think that the Bills are going to play really well and potentially play with a lead, um, but, uh, you know, if that doesn't happen, there's no reason for the Saints to break from what they've been doing, so... I think Thomas sees his eight targets, but I, I don't think he gets like 12 or 13 out of nowhere. Um, whereas that could happen with Des.
1: Uh, the only other guy I have on here that I think people might want to click. Uh, I probably won't, but Juju Smith-Schuster, if you think that Martavis will play the number four role and that would leave Eli Rodgers in the slot, Juju in this really good matchup on the outside for the whole game. Like he's 5,600. It's expensive. But um, what do you think about Juju at 56?
2: He's got one game north of six targets, and it was last week, so it stands out. But, uh, I mean, I guess you can play him and Shepard, right? Like, that's not something that that you're prevented from doing, but I strongly prefer Shepard in that price range. Um, I don't hate Smith-Schuster. You know, if he's playing his normal role, he's going to get six targets and potentially 60, 70 yards and, and maybe blow up for a big play, but that's not a guy that I'm gravitating toward.
1: Yeah, and we could get a report on that. I mean, this Martavis story has been so like uh, well-covered by people that like we could get a report, hey, Martavis is active today, but he's going to be the number four receiver or whatever. So, And we could get a starting lineup announcement too from Pittsburgh, whether it's Juju, or Martavis. So we'll certainly have an eye on that Sunday morning. Uh, let's move to the tight end position uh, where a lot of people, I think, are going to click on a guy they do not know a lot about, myself included. I do not know a lot about Garrett Selleck. I don't know if I'm going to click on him yet. Uh, do you have a scouting report on Garrett Suggs? Do you know anything about this guy? This guy is, uh, I believe, Brent Selleck's brother uh, on the Eagles. Correct? Uh, do we know anything else about him? He ran like
2: 31 routes last week or something. But he's—I don't know—he's primarily a blocking tight end. The matchup's tremendous, right? The Giants have allowed a, a tight end touchdown every game this year. 2500. I love it. Like I love the price. I love what it opens up. I would much rather play. Cam Brate at 4,100 or Kyle Rudolph at 4,600. Brate and Rudolph, you can lock like absolutely lock them into seven plus targets. And um, I know that Diggs is back, but that's the way you move the ball against Washington. They've allowed the most tight end receiving yards this year. Um, You know Brate's in a good matchup, and he has Fitzpatrick who's going to be throwing the ball. um, You know, looking to the tight end more than Jameis would already. Um, so you can actually get, you know, 15, 18 points from those guys and Selleck might get you two. So that scares me. Um, I got to kind of decide, like, for example, uh, like, here's a good question. Okay. Would you rather have, um, AJ Green and Cameron Brait or Antonio Brown and, and Garrett Selleck?
1: No brainer for me, AJ Green and Cameron Brate, like give me two guys that can get, uh, 25 points rather than one guy who I'm like praying gets six.
2: Yeah. And, and Selleck could get us like 12 to 15 points, but just his oh, range is
1: so broad. Yeah. I I um, I've, been down, I've been down this path with George Kittle before like CJ Beathard, man, like it's really scary. And I know how bad the Giants have been against tight ends, believe me, but it, it, it Selick play is really scary. I mean, probably I, I don't know what's more scary, uh Selick or Humphreys. I hope to play neither of them.
2: Uh so yeah, and you could kind of make that Argument there in like several spots. I think Brate's the guy you move up to, right? Like Tyler Croft isn't a significantly better play than Selleck if you're going to spend an extra 1100. Um, Ebron has been so bad this year that even against Cleveland, I'd rather play yeah. Selleck at 2500 than Ebron at 31. But if you move up to Brate and you say, okay, where am I saving this 1600 elsewhere? Whether it's moving down from Julio to that Golden Tate range or moving from AB down to uh, julio or aj green um i think you make the case that the other side of that's better i'm not as quite as sold on it as you seem to be but uh, just because i really want antonio brown um but yeah
1: did you play george Kittle during the shower narrative week
2: i did not play him during the shower narrative week another week though
1: that's why you're that's why you're not completely burned and, (laughs) and willing to play but
2: like kittle Uh, didn't play that week i mean that was a different situation he didn't like literally didn't see the field he played like 30 snaps
1: uh yeah i would note also that not only is kittle out but the backup uh also i forget his name is like hookah is also out uh logan paulson will back up garrett Sellick on sunday uh one guy that we didn't mention like if you can find 500 would you rather play austin hooper who Hasn't been great, but at least has a role in a potential shootout. He's only $500 more than Garrett Seller.
2: Yeah, and he's seen six-plus targets in, in four of the last five games. Uh, he also has those, those two-target games, and, and in the midst of this run, he's had, what, I think a one-target game. So that scares me quite a bit, but I think that's a good question. I don't really have an answer yet on it. Yeah. Um, I think it's just something to, like, dig into and keep weighing throughout the weekend.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, it's only $500 difference from Garrett Selleck, like a blocking tight end that we know nothing about with CJ Beathard to get to Austin Hooper in a shootout with Matt Ryan, like $500, you know? <laughs>
2: against a team that's like bottom five and DVOA against the tight end. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that would be a play for me, but totally agree with you on Cam Brate. Uh, Cam Brate, I think we'll see the biggest red zone role change. He's second on the Bucks in targets inside the 10-yard line this year. Cam Brace runs 63% of his snaps from the slot already this year. Uh, Could see that percentage go up if you think they're going to play Humphreys outside at all. So uh, Cam Braid is is an awesome uh, play, I think, at 4,100. We don't have news yet on Jordan Reed and Jameson Crowder. If they're both out, I would assume that you're fine. With Vernon Davis, again, I know the matchup isn't that great, but uh, I think that Vernon would be fine. At 4,700, we had the Austin Safarian-Jenkins revenge game, which, I doubt I'll be on, but, uh, also Baron Jenkins, I think like he got two touchdowns this in the last like month, like taken away in brutal fashion. Uh, if that hadn't happened, you'd likely see more people on him. And then of course, Evan Ingram, I'm not sure we can fit him and Jack Doyle is up there too, but Evan Ingram is like an awesome play. It's just, he's 6,200. Have you tried to compare Evan Ingram to any of the wide receivers in that 6k range?
2: Um, no, I've kind of just decided that I'm not spending up at tight end. Maybe tomorrow I'll get to that. Uh, what have you seen when when kind of looking at the pricing that way?
1: Yeah, me too. Because I if I probably want to play three running backs. So it's going to be hard to, like, yeah. if you do that, then it's hard to play uh, two tight ends. And it's hard to make a team with three running backs that you want uh, if you don't take some value at tight end, whether it's great or, Cellic, or whatever you want to do so um, yeah you
2: can go you can go powell hyde and bell or you can go powell fournette and bell powell LaShawn and bell i mean that's so much more optimal than going two tight ends just to save right. money that i totally agree with you there um yeah like i, I mean i think that break could make your weekend and he's not going to kill you whereas selic could kill you so you, you know you make a good point there um but we've seen—I don't know—it it still scares me. Like in the example I gave earlier of, of Green and Bray, like Green has so many ten to twelve-point games this year. We didn't really have time to dig into the matchup, which is great. The target should be there, but it's still a little scary. Like you're not locking him in for twenty-plus points, like you are with Brown. Um, so, uh, like what what you said makes the most sense. It's like. The week we talked about Bell and Zeke, like Bell was the better play that week, even though Zeke went off for more points. Um, so I think that, yeah, Breit and AJ Green is the is the preferred combo there, but I could see the other one paying off.
1: Yeah, uh, I think Evan Ingram is an awesome tournament play now that I think about roster construction and how people are going to struggle to fit him. Anything else at tight end uh, off the board at all?
2: Nope. Let's zoom through defense.
1: All right. I think the most popular defense from what I'm seeing out there will be the Bears uh, at 3K at home against Brett Hundley, considering how bad Hundley looked in front of a national television audience. Um, Did you look at the Bears, and do you think they're worthy of being the chalk at 3K?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that – I mean, any team, when we talk about chalk on defense, we're talking about a totally viable fade just because if, you know, if a different team gets a defensive touchdown – you separate yourself, but the bear, like my favorite play is just, if we look at uh, matchups are the lions, the Rams, the Steelers, obviously you got to pay up for any of those. Um, the bears are my favorite down in this range, followed by the jets at 2,800. And then um, a team I actually really like, and I've built several rosters messing around with. This is the Browns at 2k. And I know that that's not, not going to be popular because everyone's talking about Stafford and the receivers, but again, like, the the Browns are going to give up points because Kaiser is going to turn the ball over. I mean, that sucks, but they're not just getting smashed. They're going to get sacks. The Lions have one of the worst um, offensive lines with the fact that the Browns prevent teams from running, you know, they filter targets to the air, which leads to yards and touchdowns, but also leads to interceptions. So uh, I think the Browns at 2k, I mean, they're probably going to get you six to seven points with upside for more if they you know get a big player touchdown something like that so uh, for 2k I like the Browns quite a bit
1: I like all those the only ones I don't like the Browns that much but the the why like all the other ones you mentioned Um, you didn't mention the Vikings we'll see what happens with the Redskins offensive line Uh, but the Redskins are already extremely pass centric and all five members of their starting offensive line are questionable Uh, Vikings do have an awesome pass rush and coming off fresh off of a buy. Um, and there was one other one that I had that you didn't mention. Oh, the Jaguars. Um, Phillip Rivers, when he goes on the road, or pretty much any time, uh, is due for mistakes and sacks taken. Like, it just happens. So Jaguars are extremely expensive. they just like they were last week when they were an awesome play, ended up scoring, I believe, the most points out of any defense, or maybe the Saints ended up scoring the most last week. But Jaguars every week, I mean, are just an awesome play. Uh, they are expensive, though, at 3900 uh let's get Yeah, to... if
2: you get if you get 14 points or something from one of these expensive teams, you know, it's worth it for paying an extra 7, yeah. 800 bucks.
1: Yeah. Um all right, we got to give the people some stacks. They they need their stacks. Why don't you go first? Give me either a contrarian or a chalky stack and then I'll go.
2: Let me know if this counts as uh, contrarian or chalky. Uh Eli, I guess it's going to be chalky Eli to Sterling Shepard. I think that's one of the sharpest plays on the weekend.
1: Uh yeah so my first instinct is that eli won't be that high owned maybe like 8% uh if people i think more people are considering fits maybe um but sterling shepherd is for sure going to be in the 20s so uh yeah i don't I, I think you can make that unique um in certain ways i wrote that up today in my article uh eli uh shepherd and bring it back with Selleck and gpp's um So, I don't know. We'll bring it
2: back with Hyde in in any
1: format. Or you could run it back with Kendrick Bourne if you really want (laughs) to. I
2: don't know why you think that's so crazy. Dude saw six targets last week.
1: All right. I think that the highest floor chalky stack is Matthew Stafford to Golden Tate. Um, The Browns are so strong against the run, and the Lions can't run the ball anyways. I expect a pass centric game plan. At home, uh, where Matthew Stafford excels, and Golden Tate, you know, as the possession receiver, will avoid a lot of Jason McCordy. and I think that you know he's just like a lock for six to seven catches. So really high floor stack there uh, for my chalk stack Stafford and Golden Tate.
0: Uh, I'm gonna
2: go Matt Ryan to Julio Jones, which in you know a past life would have been the most obvious and chalkiest stack uh, on this slate. Not the case this season, and we went through everything. We don't know about Julio this week, but um, definitely has high potential to pay in tournaments.
1: All right, uh, I'm tempted to go with a Mariota stack as something uh, super contrarian, but I'm really worried that this game is going to be low scoring. So uh, I will go with Big Ben to Juju, uh, as I noted. And you know, you can play you can play other Steelers in there, but I just don't believe that the Steelers put Martavis Bryant right back in his role. And if you give me Juju for all the snaps uh, against this Colts defense, uh, I think that can make sense in tournaments. And you can certainly play Bell in there. Also, you can certainly play Antonio Brown in there also. But uh, I think Ben is maybe not going to be as owned as I originally thought just because Stafford and Dak and Ryan and all the cheap guys also. So, um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, all right. Jerry's on the couch in her spot. That is going to do it for this episode of the quote-unquote expert, quote-unquote roundtable for America's sharpest hippie, JM for Jerry. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody, this weekend.